it's like putting you in a pressure cooker for a week and you're doing like a ton of spiritual work and everyone's at a different place like if if you're someone who's never done like any measure of stuff like that it's like really undescribable and unfathomable what you could actually get out of it in that time um you would see so much about yourself you would have probably breakdowns and breakthroughs and it could could forever alter the course of your life hello everyone and welcome to my podcast today i wanted to make a video detailing what it was like my second time going to rinzai zen buddhist meditation retreat at Karenji in wisconsin because it was a lot different i made a video the last time i did it but um it was a lot different this time and i learned a lot more this was a very strict intensive practice and i want to take you through all the parts of it so you can kind of see how it all comes together so first and most importantly is the roshi is the teacher who um runs the monastery that actually is who's creating the entire energy field and like the scope of the work and how all of it's getting done and it's said traditionally in zen that the couple brief minutes you meet with the teacher is more important than all the hours that you spend in meditation because you're getting the energy current of the practice of the tradition um, through them. It's actually passed from one person through another. So that's actually the most important part of, um, of the entire practice. Even though you only get to meet with the Roshi like 30 seconds at a time, twice a day, it's, um, it's like a spiritual force. It's like an energy current that's held inside one who like has been given the current and then they give it to you and that's like what provides the transformation for example when I went last year it was like I realized six months later that this whole time the energy of the Roshi of the teacher had been working on me and transforming me in my life so why would you go to such a retreat as this so it's very strict it's very intensive um, on the first, the Roshi gives a lecture every day, and on the first day, he pretty much gives you the philosophy of Buddhism, which is that there's vast suffering in the world, as the Buddha pointed out, that we as individual, <clears throat> seemingly separate entities have been on this wheel of becoming, this wheel of birth and death, of rebirth, of reincarnation, since beginningless time since unfathomable eons that we've been going through this cycle and like suffering and being born again on various planes of reality in various forms and that this is due to fundamental and habitual delusion to seeing oneself as separate and to basically believing in duality to thinking oneself separate <clears throat> um not being able to live in unity, not being able to live from one's boundless nature. So that's like the fundamental philosophy of the practice. That's why you're actually practicing is because basically what they're saying in the Buddhist tradition is there's vast suffering. Um, get out of it. If you're wise enough to hear and understand what we're saying, do these practices, get free, and then you can help other people get free too. So it's very compassionate tradition as well. But it's through um, removing that veil of separation and realizing one's 
boundless nature, you could say, as God or as everything, as infinite presence, um, and the unreality of the separate self, of who you normally think you are. So that's like the tradition, that's like, you know, that, that's the philosophy for why you would be there. That's like most of the people that go there understand that, because otherwise you wouldn't put yourself through such a rigorous practice. Um, although you could just do it for no reason and still get great benefits out of it. So that's kind of the teaching and like the practice I was given was not a koan practice. I was given um, the breath work practice. So you just, you inhale deep through your diaphragm and you're holding a certain mudra with your hand down here. And then when you exhale, you count one but you're not counting as an observer, you're following the breath out into the universe. So there's supposed to be no distinction between the thinker, the thought, the action. It's as if the whole universe is breathing the breath. So this is what the practice looks like. So you get there the first day and you meditate a little bit. The second day, because the first day is like half a day, like a uh, Monday evening or whatever day I got there. So the second day, it is extremely difficult. I don't think if I ever got past two or three seconds on the count of the breath, like two or three counts. Um, your eyes are open. You're literally, I would be dreaming with my eyes open, like, and then just nodding in and out of consciousness. Very difficult. And normally that lasts like two to three days for people. Um, that's part of the training. That's part of the training. So the first couple of days, the body hurts very bad, the mind super exhausted, very hard to concentrate. For me, it only lasted one day, um, the first half day and then one full day, which the Roshi said was very quick and was a lot quicker than last year for me, um, for whatever reason. I don't suffer as much of the bodily pain as some of the other people do, but it can get pretty excruciating. So like, what a day looks like is, um, you go to bed at midnight, you wake up at 4.30 in the morning, you have about 15 minutes to like put your robes on and brush your teeth and go to the bathroom. Then you meditate for about an hour and a half. Then you go into the chanting hall and you chant. And last year I couldn't even chant this Japanese Zen. It was so quick the way you do it, um, so fast and without like breathing really, that I just couldn't do it. But this year I was able to do it and it was very, very powerful. You get like very connected, very pure, very high and free through the power of that sound mantra when you can actually start to do it. So you do that, that's like the opening of the temple. Um, then there is breakfast and you meditate a little bit more. Breakfast you have like chopsticks and you get little tiny meals and you're sitting on the floor with these wooden benches. and they're chanting and you have to eat very quickly while chanting the heart sutra. So the whole meal in itself takes about five minutes or maybe a little less. And then there's two hours of work time from like eight to 10 where you work inside and outside cleaning and the garden and chopping wood. And then you meditate a bunch more hours in the middle of the afternoon, maybe like two or three. And there'll be a free sit time where you can either meditate in the zendo or outside somewhere on your own or on the porch of the zendo. The rest of the time you're sitting formally in rows, about 10 people on each side facing each other, and you're meditating in 30 minute increments 
eyes open, not, you can't move or anything, like you can't like fidget or anything like that, can't do that. Um, and then you get to walk around for like five minutes in a structured way and then you sit again for 30. So the afternoons like that, you eat lunch. Um, you have the opportunity to meet with the Roshi about two times a day, in morning and in evening, you go before him, and he only will let you sit before him for like one minute, 30 seconds, maybe two minutes at the most, if like something pressing is going on. So very short time. And then, uh, you know, going into, the, you have a part in the middle of the afternoon where you could take a shower and stuff like that, and then there's a lot more meditating into the evening, up to dinner and after dinner. Um, and then the Roshi gives a talk every day and that's when you can ask him questions about practice. That's when he shares about the philosophy, the tradition, the practice, like where, you know, what day people are on, how you should be, how you might be feeling, where you're going. Um, so that's like the outer practice of the day. And then you keep meditating and stuff. You don't get to go to bed till midnight. You sleep on the floor of the Zendo and then wake back up at 4.30. So how it went for me was, uh, the second day, once I got really into the practice, I was like, I got into it very quickly. Cause then you start to go into like meditative absorption where you can't really feel your body much for a lot of the time. So the pain kind of goes away. And even though you're only sleeping four and a half hours a night, once you've meditated for a few days, the um, you don't get tired anymore because like your energy field changes and you're just pulling in all this energy and sitting with this all day so you're not like even though your body probably is fatigued but like you don't feel it you feel like okay compared to how you normally feel for sleeping that little so the second day I learned so much and I got so connected and I had these deep I had like a crazy vision like a brief vision of hell and like myself chanting the four vows of Buddhism in a past life which is sentient beings are numberless we vow to save them all um the teachings are infinite. We vow to learn them all. I forgot the third one. And the fourth one is the Buddha way is inconceivable. We vow to attain it. And um, just great insights into like the teachings and the nature of that I felt I had been with the Roshi before. And what Bodhisattva means, the term in Buddhism, one who is been free from that cycle of birth and death and stays informed to help others. So I had all these insights and I was getting very clear and I was like, oh, I have to share these with the teacher. Like, I want to talk to him about this. So then I go and see him and he doesn't really give me an opportunity to say anything. He's just like, I like said a couple things, not even what I could fully say. And he's just like, go back to the practice. And that's what they're always telling you is just go back to the practice, basically. Like, go back to doing your count. And it's such a good teaching because it's not that he intuitively, like, it's not, I mean, it is intuitive. It's not like he's like, I got to tell this guy this and this, that. It's like he intuitively knows because of his energy and who he is the right response to give to each person. And so, like, if he would have indulged me in that, that was like my ego. I would have been, like, thinking about stuff the whole time and not got beyond thought and just been, like, obsessing about the experiences that I had and the understanding. So basically he's like, no, like don't just go back to your practice. We're not going to talk about any of that. So the next two days for me, I think it was like Wednesday and Thursday were, um, 
so pure because you're like you get so one pointed and centered of mind you like you break through like the veil of illusion that's like holding everyone at this normal frequency we're like living at like this lowest level of consciousness and you like break through that because your mind gets so centered so like and I've had these experiences before through like chanting and things too but I spent hours for two days just walking around like bawling my eyes out crying like in the zendo walking around because my awareness expanded so much I could see like the vast suffering so clearly in the universe because anyone who's attained any like genuine degree of spiritual awakening the first thing you see is the vast amount of suffering that's going on all the time like that's what first becomes readily apparent even the buddha after he got enlightened the first thing he said was the four noble truths he said there is suffering that was the first teaching he gave because that's the first thing that becomes readily apparent is that there's a vast amount of pain and suffering in the universe so i'm like crying because of that but i'm crying also because of like vast joy and love and i'm understanding like the purity of the teachings and like the heart sutra that you chant in buddhism and the um <clears throat> the prajnaparamita mantra i'm like chanting this short mantra that's like for going beyond the beyond and I feel just vast love for Ramdas and Maharaj and these teachers I've had. And you can understand like things you've heard so many times, but you like understand the essence of them and like the purity of them. And you understand like how great of a blessing it is even to have like been exposed to these things or even to be at a place like this in a time like this. And that's what the Roshi says too, like even to exist at a time in the universe where you're in the form of a human being that can understand the truth and where the teachings are like available before they're wiped out or destroyed or before whatever cataclysmic thing um you know brings that to an end so like vastly good karma and then to ever even come across of being like the roshi and so i'm just like yeah, and in pure love. I kept replaying uh, Neem Karoli Baba, my guru, what he said about Jesus when he said he loved everybody. He was lost in love for all beings. Um, when he was crucified, he felt only love. Like he gave his life for the Dharma, how the true sacrifice Jesus made wasn't even getting crucified. It was like coming from unity into separateness in the first place to be here. So I'm like seeing all this and like, then I got a teaching. I got super mad because like the, some of the monks that run it are like, one of them can be like very infuriating and another one kind of was too. So they like, I felt like they were picking on me for like, cause I get yelled at all the time for like my chopsticks being up when they're supposed to be down or in my hand when they're supposed to be on the thing or like leaning on a rail or sitting back against a thing or meditating in a place I'm not supposed to meditate or like not having my hands in Gesha or not bowing when I leave the temple or not having my robes on right or like any variety of things I get yelled at for basically um so I was getting really mad and that was the teaching and it's like it's not like they're doing it purposely it's like it's the energy field there so then I'm like fuck I just 
and like in vast love, like the love of Jesus, but that I can't, I have to love these people. Like I can't just be mad at these people. So that was like a teaching. And then I have to practice love. I have to practice like sending that to them and, you know, transforming that anger. So that was another part of the teaching. And then um, the last, it was like Friday, I think it was. Um, Friday was, then I started, then like my attack, cause then you get so deep, like things surface, right? So then my attachment came up. You get so deep, things surface. So like my attachment came up. So then I'm like, I was so pure for these days. I was barely even thinking thoughts. I was like, my breath was so connected and I was so free. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I gotta get out of here. I was like, I need to get a milkshake and have sex and I need to smoke a cigar and when I should just leave. And I'm like obsessed for like two hours during the evening meditation on this, you know? And um, that's attachment that like shows you where your attachments are and like the work you have to do. And that's why I can't always live in like those higher states of um, consciousness, like those more pure states because I still have to work through like these other things, you know, that might not seem like huge issues, but like that when you're quiet like that, it comes up like your attachments, it comes up. And um, so that was really an interesting lesson. And the Roshi was like, just meditate. Um, he's like, don't worry about fatigue. He's like, it's a full moon tonight. Like meditate under the full moon. And I was sick too. I got sick somehow during this. I was like, somehow I got sick too. So I was like sick. And two people had COVID, so I might've had COVID too. But I was like, well, I'm not really saying shit. And then I did say something to one of the monks, the like female monk who like I've known who was there before. And she's like, it's probably just because you're doing session, just get back to the practice. So it was like the universe wanted to keep me practicing even though I was probably sick as fuck. So I sat up all night with this guy and we meditated on the deck of the Zendo um, till like 1.30 in the morning. So we only slept like three hours. And I was like, it was very cold, but also, I don't know if it was the sickness or what, but I was shaking, like I was shivering, like shaking badly. But the meditation, it fixed the attachment thing. I got super connected again, uh, very tuned in. And then the whole next morning, which was the last day of the retreat, uh, morning through afternoon, uh, I was able to finish the practice in a very strong way. And I was able to like, I was able to get back to that place, that place of purity and uh, connectedness. And so like at the end, when everybody talks and it's all over and stuff, um, you know, people have, your energy's like crazy. It's hard to even talk to people. You're like laughing like this girl I was talking to. She was like shaking and she's like, I don't know how I'm going to go back to work tomorrow. Uh, cause you've pulled in so much energy and you've like touched these different places inside yourself. And like, it's like putting you in a pressure cooker for a week and you're doing like a ton of spiritual work and everyone's at a different place. Like if, if you're someone who's never done like any measure of stuff like that, it's like really undescribable and unfathomable what you could actually get out of it in that time. Um, you would see so much about yourself. You would 
have probably breakdowns and breakthroughs and it could could forever alter the course of your life you know and then obviously as people have continued to do those practices then you know you get deeper into higher states and what you would have worked through before you're like on a different level now and you're working through other things like one guy had a, a I don't know I just seen him like bursting out in tears I know he's a very experienced practitioner and uh, then he was gone for the rest of the retreat they had him in this room where he just stayed for like the last couple of days and you've seen him walk around a little bit um, so whatever he you know whatever state he went into um, he wasn't able to practice anymore there was one time at uh, lunch at dinner one of the days I wasn't able to eat I was just whatever altered state I was in I just couldn't eat the food like I had to bow and pass on each one of the foods I just uh, there was no possible way at that time that I was eating food um, so you know there's people that live at places like this and they do these practices like very intensively all the time and it's like this is Rinzai Zen Buddhism I do many different practices since that like the only one that I do but I took the official ordination with um, the teacher to be accepted as a student with the Roshi um, but yeah I just wanted to share that experience like the one I'm talking about is called Karinji and it's in Wisconsin and they do beginners as well in January they have a beginners one where you sleep like an extra hour I think which makes it substantially probably better and uh, it's not as intense and they explain more stuff and stuff like that I did want to give a little note on like the intensity of, of Zen practice like just a couple of the comments of the Roshi had said like one he was talking about practicing that breath count when you go to sleep and this is how intense they practice. He said, you do it up until the moment of sleep. And then he said, then you start to lucid dream and you do the practice in your dream. So you're practicing the whole night. And he said, it's even more powerful when you're doing it in sleep. So like in the Zen tradition, they're very, that's why you can't lean against things or relax. Like they're not even looking for their own bliss. They're looking for like, true and profound awakening in order to be of service to other beings like a vital samadhi like he says it's like a top that's spinning so fast you can't like see and that's like how your energy field becomes through that practice it's just like vibrant and alive and like realizing the non-existence of the separate self and the boundlessness of who you are but also being like alert and attentive in the body able to move and act and that's why a lot of them do like martial arts forms and like mountain climbing tough called Shigendo mountain training and things like that. But anyways, he says about the koan, which I didn't get, but like I'll finish with this. The koan is a practice you get in Zen. Like they might ask you, who am I? Or they might ask you, like, who are you? Like that's your koan, who am I? Or what is the sound of one hand clapping? Or how do you know your Buddha nature through the sound of a cricket? Questions that you can't questions that you can't give a logical answer to. Like and you're not supposed to think them. And anything you could think could be wrong. You're supposed to breathe it and live it and become it. And I wanted to share the Roshi was talking about when he was in training and he had a koan. And he was a uh, he said you become it. He said it becomes your whole body he's like the koan lives in your fingertips and everything and he said he was walking around the monastery 
in a state of samadhi, which is super consciousness, meditative absorption. He said his eyes were like fully wide and he couldn't take care of himself for a couple of days very well. He said because he was like, he said it was so like clear and pristine and insightful, like so pure the wisdom. And he said, I wouldn't let down the koan even for one single second. So that's why he is being all weird like that. So it's like, imagine that degree of mindfulness and concentration and dedication that not letting that go for even one single second. And then his teacher finally like did something to snap him out of it. And then it like breaks you through into a new place. Like they'll yell at you or hit you or say something. I don't know what he did. Um, and then that like takes you into the next teaching. Just showing the degree to which they'll like practice, you know, like how intense you can get with those things. Um, so I wanted to share that video for people that are um, curious and hearing, learning or knowing about that and who might want to do something like that for themselves. There's plenty of other yoga and meditation retreats that aren't that level of intensity, but um, the discipline's very appealing. The discipline and the intensity is very appealing and it takes you uh, very deep and it has some great benefits and like yeah it is a challenging thing to do um but and it, you do suffer the first couple days like for me it was only a day for some people it's two or three days where they're like angry and pissed off and they feel like they're gonna die like their body hurts super bad your thoughts don't stop that's all just um but it's part of the training it's just part of the stuff so yeah i was just grateful to be able to be there again and to share some of that energy hopefully with you guys who are listening to this and um feel free to reach out if you have any questions um comments or anything like that